listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Hi and welcome to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast, episode number 37. Today, we get to hear from neuroscientist Andrew Affleck. But before we do, I'd just like to remind you that you can like, favorite, follow, and share the podcast via iTunes or via SoundCloud. You can also feel free to shoot me an email to hello at rachelasimpson.com if you have any questions, any suggestions, any feedback, or any ideas as for someone you'd like to hear an interview with. I'm really excited about today's episode. Andrew chats really openly about growing up in Broken Hill in Sydney, family, inspirations, coming to faith in Jesus, and then walking away for a season. He shares about his studies that eventually led him to a PhD in Alzheimer's and the amazing work that he now does seeking to find some pieces in the puzzle that might lead us to better understand and eventually cure Alzheimer's and other dementia-related diseases. Part of Andrew's role involves dealing with brain donations, so we talk about dealing so closely with death and such delicate and important human issues. We talk about his co-founding the not-for-profit Street Growth, his involvement in the Anglican Church, being a husband, and looking to the future as he will soon become a dad. I really hope you enjoy this incredibly interesting and multifaceted discussion with Andrew Affleck. I grew up actually in the outback. I oh. grew up in Broken Hill until oh, I was in about year two, really. Yeah, I grew up in the outback and then we moved to the city uh, and that was a big sort of change for me. And initially I hated Sydney. I hated moving to the city uh, because it was sort of dirty, smoky. There was a little rubbish everywhere and I just just didn't like that. And, yeah, wow. Uh, but funnily enough now, I just I couldn't see myself living in the country, even though it forms a great part of my life. And, well, sorry, I could see myself living in the country, but maybe just not at this moment, maybe a bit later on in life. But uh, Do you have a lot of early memories of Broken Hill? Faint memories here and there. The ones that sort of spring to mind are memories of, getting my BMX bike out and going, uh, there was a, uh, we lived near the hospital and there was this car park and it was sort of gravel and, and that kind of thing. But we made, we would make jumps, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to jump off on our BMX bikes and that kind of thing. We would go kind of exploring, you know, on our bikes and end up in, you know, near rock cliffs and that kind of thing and, and explore the scenery like it was it was quite liberating in a lot of ways you know there was you you had to make your own fun and i suppose back then in the early 90s i think i just got a sega mega drive you know (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't like you know there was a lot of this technology that we have sort of inundated uh, these days so yeah you kind of had to get out and get on your bike and catch up with your friends and make jumps and ride your bike off the jumps and that kind of thing so awesome they're sort of probably the earliest memories i have of broken hill and and what was family life like for you growing up? It was very, very loving and, and amazing, but hard at times. I mean, uh, I, I've never known my parents together. They divorced uh, sort of just after I was born, really. Wow. And um, went to live with my dad. My mom was back in Sydney and I was living with my dad who was in Broken Hill. So yeah, a lot of a lot of love and care was there, but uh, it came with the, I suppose the, what you would expect with a divorce sort of uh, parents. And my brother and sister were sometimes they were boarding in Sydney, you know, boarding school, or brother would be in Broken Hill. So it was a bit sort of stagnant at times. Then when we when we did move eventually to Sydney. We were all sort of a bit closer and, and that was nice. Yeah. And were you an academic kid or, or a sporty kid? Did you enjoy school? I suppose I kind of floated. I, I did enjoy sports. I enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed maths actually. I, I loved, I loved basketball. I loved playing soccer, you know, even would love playing chess, you know, in at lunchtime, you know, in the library or whatever. So yeah, I, 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 I suppose I didn't really have a particular thing that I would call my own or, or that kind yeah. of thing. I suppose I just sort of, whatever was uh, was happening, you know, I'd, I'd 
be keen to try it out and give it a go and yeah right I think so yeah and do you have like a first or an early memory of God or of, of any religion or spirituality probably my first encounter with with that kind of thing uh, was my grandmother actually she was just this and still is well kind of um, we'll get to that a bit later on I suppose but uh, uh, was it was so on fire for God and uh, so I remember as a young kid we I forget the timeline but I think it was sort of in the transition of moving back to Sydney or we did stay with my with my grandparents for a short period of time and they lived in uh, Wollongong and so I remember my grandmother would always tuck me into bed she would always just be so excited to tell me about this Jesus character and how much he loved me and she would pray for me and we would pray before we before I went to sleep and so I think that was the first memory I have of God or the concept of God and that kind of thing so really special kind of memories um, yeah particularly because of just how lovely and awesome my grandmother was and so uh, there was it had a profound impact I suppose because you go wow if my grandma who is just this awesome person thinks that this person's pretty awesome then maybe that there, there might be something to that you know? yeah right so. she had that credibility for you. sure sure yeah. yeah yeah so so I suppose that was my first sort of encounter or experience yeah so in that case like in your homes with your mum and dad faith wasn't part of that it became more a part of it a bit later on my mom was sort of i suppose her background was more catholic and mm-hmm. that kind of thing and so yeah it wasn't like she was attending a church or anything but she would sort of say that she had that that background um, mm. and my dad a bit later on in my life i suppose when i was 12 13 maybe 11 that kind of early teen period he would go to church, uh, an Anglican church uh, in Darlinghurst called St. John's. He would bring me along. And so throughout my childhood, there's been these sort of uh, crossroads in and out of area of faith, you know, I suppose, yeah. whether it be a church or whether it be my grandmother or whether it be, you know, my dad sort of you know, taking me along to church or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Sort of woven through. Woven through, yeah. 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 And then you mentioned you were kind of into Rich different- tapestry. Yes. <laughs> um, you were sort of into different sports and different subjects and activities. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Not really, actually. No, I, uh, so much so that I actually took a, I took a gap year after I finished school. I went and lived and worked in England for a year and went traveling as well. Deferred uni after I finished school. So I, I, I did the kind of the, I suppose the quintessential teenage thing that you would do after finishing school would mm-hmm. be to go traveling or go quote unquote find yourself <laughs> as I suppose some people might put it. But uh, I had a sense that it, it would be something in the realm of uh, medicine or science or that kind of thing. Wasn't really sure what uh, that would look like. And so I took a bit of time to, yeah, to do a bit of traveling and that kind of thing and then came back and got stuck into my you know into my studies and that kind of stuff and so obviously you have your christian faith now was there a moment before or after this period that you encountered jesus i became a christian i i suppose i i kind of asked jesus into my heart and was yeah there's a i suppose there is a defining moment where i sort of said you know i'm so sorry for just all the stuff that is in my life and God, please, uh, like, uh, I want to live for you and that kind of thing. Uh, and that yeah. was probably in about year nine or year ten. Uh, that was uh, with my cousin, and it was after a very long game of uh, Risk, which is a board game. <laughs> and wow. and that, that went on for, like, too long, as it normally does. And we were staying up, and everyone was chatting. And as you do, people started to make their way to bed, and it just beca- it was just me and my cousin left. And we just got started talking about life and I didn't get the feeling that, you know, my cousin was sort of uh, set up or anything like that. It was very kind of natural and, and, and beautiful in a way. Uh, there became a moment in, in that night, probably very early the next morning, you know, <laughs> after this long uh, board game and then uh, chat that, yeah, I, I sort of uh, made that commitment and made that choice, I suppose. And interestingly, I, I then 
I went away overseas and I, I fell away from, from my faith massively. Uh, oh, yeah? Uh, like intellectually or lifestyle? or Probably more intellectually as wow. in probably just a period of absolute rebellion really. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just went, no, I'm just going to live my way and I'm not going to. I sort of really stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible, just started living for myself, you know, not living for God. Uh, and Where do you think that came out of? Was it just a desire to do what you wanted or rejection of the faith? <laughs> I or? think that there was, there's a couple of things, probably in many ways where human beings are quite, we have great ability to be so loving and compassionate, but there is this underlying sense of selfishness. You know, we yeah. we, we look after number one in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, and I, so I think that there was just a rebellion there and just sort of saying, you know what, I'm just going to look out for me. And But the other thing I would say is that it was it was really hard and, and it was probably a defining moment for me to appreciate just how amazing Christian community is and not being around that um, as much because I was sort of, I was traveling, I was on my own a lot or I was around people who who maybe didn't share that faith. And so, yeah, there was just sort of little by little not being around that Christian community and then I suppose being tempted in a lot of ways to just live a life that was not for God but for myself saw me go down a, a yeah, a path that was not, well, at the time, not a good one, but uh, um, interestingly, coming back uh, to faith, it was a time where I actually saw God working very hard to, you know, pull me back in, pull me back in, you know, and and His love and His care and and that kind of thing. So, really, at the time, not a great sort of thing, but in mm. hindsight, looking back, it was so powerful and so amazing um, wow. to see how God worked through that. And did you sort of return to your faith at the end of that year or was it a longer journey? It was a longer you? journey. Yeah, wow. it was a longer journey. So I started I started uh, university and by this time I, I, you know, kind of caught back up with friends who, Christian friends, and it was so, it was awkward at times, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, because I was sort of a different person, I felt. But there were just some really amazing moments where friends of mine, would really lovingly just be like off the cuff, you know, kind of nothing super intentional or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they'll say, oh, so how's Christian stuff going for you? you know, something like that. And, and sometimes we would have some really great discussions. Other times it would be like, oh, just not tonight, man, you know, like yeah, with friends and that kind of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. even through that, it was sort of like there was God was using them to sort of uh, – say i haven't forgotten about you i'm, I'm going to continue to your mind wow. <laughs> and i'm going to i'm going to continue to uh, yeah pursue you in a lot of ways and and that's just one example and there are many others where at the time i didn't really understand what was going on but when i look back now it's just it's quite clear that god was was really pursuing me and mm. um and you read in the bible about how jealous he can be you know of when he's particularly of his children but jealousy in a good way, you know, in a sense that mm. he's not going to leave anyone behind, you know, if if they're if they're truly one of his uh, his children, he will he will fight for them to get them back. Looking back, I can see that 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 was maybe something that was really happening you know, in those moments. So tying into, I met Steph and we started dating, and uh, she at the time wasn't a Christian, but she started to go along to church and she had friends who were Christians and that kind of thing. Were you thinking, oh, no. <laughs> well, this is another thing. Like, I was just like, I was like, and it was funny because you asked before, you said, oh, was it an intellectual thing or was it like a, and I think it was an intellectual thing. I hadn't, I hadn't said, no, I don't believe this anymore. It was, it was just a, no, I, I want to be like, I want to live for myself and not, not that I made that conscious decision. I just sort of yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like I didn't believe any any of the the core things that I was that I had chosen to follow or anything like that. Um, and so when Steph did uh, did sort of say to me, "Oh, look, I, I think I'm going to start going to church," and 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 I'd be like, "Huh, okay," uh, you know, <laughs> sort of, "Why, God? What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's just another example of I think. 
there being a sense that God is uh, weaving his own plan into and will into uh, my life to seek me back, you know. Um, and there was sort of a moment where I really had to say to myself, look, uh, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to actually turn my back on the things that I I believe or did believe so strongly and passionately? Or am I going to actually, quote-unquote, do business with God? And, and of course, I prayed and, and uh, uh, started going to church with Steph and came back and, yeah, would... Wow. Would, would sort of call myself a Christian again, you know, in uh, through through that period. Yeah. So. Yeah. Amazing. And how did you and Steph meet? We actually went to high school together. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then we'll say, "Who would have thought that if we could get in a time capsule and go back and say to each other, you know, in year ten or eleven, as we walk down the hallway hallways of school, you know that." Uh, you're going to marry Steph, you know, and Steph, oh, you're going to marry Andy or Andrew. Yeah, we'd say you're crazy, you know, kind of thing, you know. As in, as in, we we we, we were more sort of uh, we were friendly, you know, but you know, we were in high school and that kind of thing. So we didn't reconnect, I suppose, until after I I got back from my year in England, and I was actually working in a in a pub up the road from uh, from where, uh, Steph was living and Steph and her family were coming for a Sunday meal for Sunday lunch or dinner. Uh, that's where we kind of, uh, reconnected and we started seeing each other at, at different people's sort of 21st and, and that kind of thing. And I, I just sort of thought Steph was way out of my league being a, being a guy didn't know the signs <laughs> <laughs> sort, of, sort of thing. And so, uh, it took a mutual friend to say to me, Hey, um, how about you ask Steph out on a date? And I went, <laughs> really okay cool so yeah asked her on a date and then yeah that that was sort of the the genesis i suppose of of our dating and and yeah and then we we dated for oh uh, i don't know two or three years and and that's when i I plucked up the courage and asked her to marry me so awesome throughout that time you've been doing your degree in neuroscience and psychology is that right yeah that's right so i did a, a science degree and I was majoring in neuroscience and psychology. Uh, in my third year, I started doing a, um, a research uh, component to my uh, neuroscience sort of subjects. And that's where I really, I got introduced to or exposed to research in the lab. And I kind of immediately fell in love with it really, you know, it was hands-on. I, I found it really kind of cool in the sense that, uh, you know, you would, ask a question and then you could go test that and it would be frustrating at times because you know it might not work out but that's the scientific process you know and so that was really that was really amazing and so through that third year sort of subject uh, where I got to do my own research project in a laboratory setting that's where I wanted to do more and uh, my supervisor said well why don't you uh, do a master's by research and so I did do that and and in the same lab and so I did master's degree uh, went and worked in industry for a little bit just sort of while uh, my thesis was getting marked and and all that kind of thing and so I worked in a histopathology laboratory which is let's say for example you have something you know funny on your arm and you go to the doctor they cut it out they'll send it to pathology to get it sort of um and so we would process that sample so like like cancers and yeah so like i mean big one for australia is skin cancers so yeah. you know if there was a some kind of uh, lesion that needed to be cut out that would be sent to uh, our laboratory we would then sort of process it get it ready for the pathologist to be able to look at that pit of tissue under the microscope so that they can then diagnose if it is a cancer or if it's not or if that kind of thing so wow. so we so i worked in that laboratory for about a year and then went back into do a bit of research and then finally kind of uh, found my way to the to the brain bank which is where I, I'm still actually working now. Wow so you're kind of across both the physical side of it and the psychology side of it what's it been like as a young person immersing yourself in all that thought about how the brain works and that does that influence the way you do relationships? 
Oh, yes and no. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, and it's um it's helpful, I suppose. But um, anything to do with the human mind is always so <laughs> can be so uh, unique, <laughs> which yeah. is amazing and great. But uh, no, look, I think that um, the psychology aspect uh, was really. I suppose it was it was a very you know interesting part of of my undergraduate degree, uh, but I would say that the research sort of side of things, the neuroscience was mm. was I found that more interesting. I suppose. Uh, yeah. I, I think also the the anatomy of the brain as well. Really, I found that really. I mean, some people squirm at the idea of, <laughs> of a brain and 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 blood and that kind of thing, but I found it quite amazing and just beautiful that we have this organ that does contain our thoughts and our yeah. uh, memories and our things that are, are seemingly quite intangible like emotions and and uh, that kind of thing you know in terms of uh, how it affects relationships I think it gave me a greater appreciation really uh, for how humans can interact with each other and 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 just that it's it is quite incredible you know that we have developed to be able to through language and through our ability to uh, work together uh, mm. on, a, on a common kind of goal or that kind of thing, you know, that we have uh, built things to help us to do that kind of stuff, you know, so we use tools. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, it's just, it is quite incredible. And so it's given me just a great appreciation for, yeah, for relationships really and how amazing and special and i suppose unique in a way they can be um, not to take away from other animals uh, because there are definitely relationships that are formed there but i think there is something quite unique and beautiful about a human relationship whether it be a friendship or mm. or you know the the love that you have for a parent or um, or a spouse or something so yeah wow and then you ended up choosing alzheimer's disease for your phd Yep. How did you end up there? So my grandmother, who I was talking about before, she sadly uh, has succumbed to uh, Alzheimer's and the umbrella term of dementia. And so there is a personal kind of drive there because um, it's uh, quite, you know, it's tough to see. I was sort of talking about how on fire my grandma was for Jesus and just what a, an amazing, smart and loving and caring woman she is. And not to say that she isn't that anymore, but it, she's very different, you know, now than what she was. And, uh, and that yeah. is because of, of this disease. And so mm. there's a definitely a personal motivation there. The work that I was doing was in the brain bank was quite heavily skewed towards uh, neurodegeneration. And so we would, uh, the brains that we would get in the brain bank would be mostly of, of those types of cases. So Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, uh, frontotemporal lobar degeneration, um, things like that. So what's that last one? Oh, FTLD. It's another form of uh, dementia. So dementia is sort of the umbrella term. And then there are all these different sort of diseases and disorders that fall underneath the, that umbrella term of dementia. Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's accounts for about 70 to 75% of dementia cases. And so that's why it's out in the out in the general sort of world. You know, people kind of equate dementia and Alzheimer's to be sort of similar. But yeah. uh, there are different types. There are different forms. Alzheimer's is the one is the most common type of dementia, and uh, there are others. And frontotemporal lobar degeneration is is another type of dementia, and it really affects the uh, temporal lobe, so the the part of the brain which is sort of to the side of your of your head, and also your frontal lobe, which is um, obviously at the front of your of your head. And so, uh, it can uh, manifest itself. Uh, in different ways one of them for example uh, is behaviorally so people can still have quite good ability to uh, remember things but they would change uh, in their behavior uh, and so uh, that can be attributed to say a behavioral variant of frontotemporal low budget generation where yeah. you're getting loss in these areas that maybe control behavior or executive functioning so the ability to plan um, and the ability to interact with the world in, mm -hmm. in a you know quote unquote normal kind of way you know that all gets uh, lost in a sense so that's just another form of dementia uh, alzheimer's the card carrying kind of signs of alzheimer's is 
is predominantly uh, memory loss, um, mm. uh, particularly short-term memory, uh, but it can also uh, sort of manifest itself in, in different ways as well. So, you know, moving into executive functioning and having you know, uh, difficulties with language and, and mm. that kind of thing. So the work that I was doing was quite, I was already in that kind of world. And so it was, so there's sort of the personal side of things. Yeah. There's the fact that I was working in that, in that area, but also there was, there's just the great need. I think that we have, uh, in, you, you know, you turn on the TV, you hear it from a lot of people, but it's true. You know, we have an aging population. We're going to have more and more people uh, that will live with dementia. I mean, in, in Australia right now, we have over 400,000 cases of dementia wow. just in Australia. And it's the second leading cause of death uh, in Australia. I mean, I know we all have to die of something, but my hope would be that we would die of something that is not as cruel, I suppose, and not as drawn out and uh, and as, as hard as, as something like Alzheimer's or dementia. And I mean, the other thing is it, it's a great cost on, on, our, on our community and our society. Worldwide, uh, I think there's been estimated, uh, these are figures from about 2015, I think, but worldwide it was estimated that the global cost, so around the world, um, was about $818 billion. So, wow. I mean, and that, that's an estimated figure as well. So, I mean, it costs a lot of money. It's devastating to a lot of families and, and, and loved ones and, and even those that are affected by it. Yeah, so they're, they're the main reasons why I was like, yeah, I'm going to look into this and, and try and do whatever I can to play a part in, in that. So. And what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Look, I think that I think if you ask any PhD student or anyone working in these fields, you know, I mean, hey, look, we would love to be able to say that, that what we're doing is going to be the thing that finds a cure, finds a treatment, uh, is yeah. able to diagnose a condition earlier so that things can happen sooner rather than later, so to speak. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's, that, there's that drive there, but uh, I think that I think so. I think that that's probably being a little bit unrealistic, you know. Um, okay. You, you can have that kind of dream, but uh, yeah. But what I really hope is that I see the I see a problem like Alzheimer's or dementia or that kind of thing, like a like a bit of a bit of a jigsaw, and we've come a long way since it was first discovered um, by Alois Alzheimer, who was the the physician that first detected Alzheimer's. Okay. This is back in the turn of the. 20th century, so about nine, yeah, 1901, I think it was. Really? And, uh, and so, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, we have learned an incredible amount about this disease. And, and is it far more rife? Like, is it more common? Uh, Alzheimer's? Well? Yeah. Over time, has it increased? Like, from 1901, is there far more? Yeah, look, I think to answer that, we're probably living a lot longer. So, the greatest risk factor for something like Alzheimer's or, or dementia, uh, sporadic dementia, so where there isn't a direct link or cause, the greatest risk factor is actually age. So as a society, we are living a lot longer. And, um, and so I would probably say that yes, we're getting more and more cases because we are uh, looking after our heart health a bit better. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're eating, maybe eating a bit, I don't know, I don't really have the evidence, but just sort of anecdotally, you know, you kind of hear about how we are, we're obviously living longer, so we must be doing something right to be able to live mm -hmm. a bit longer. And because we are living longer, <laughs> mm. we are, we're getting more cases of, of these sort of dementias. And so, yeah, so yeah, I'll probably say that that is why it's on the increase, you know, not only that, but we have an aging population. So we do have more and more people that mm. are are in that kind of age bracket or will be going into that age bracket. Um, so there, that's why it's there are more and more cases sort of every year. But also the ability to, to detect it has, yeah. has become a lot better as well. So, so yeah, they're, they're sort of the things that, that, mm. that kind of interplay there. So I think that if I can add one or two bits of the, to the jigsaw puzzle, you know, that will um, make the overall picture a bit clearer. That's really what I hope to achieve. Uh, because I think that it's it's not going to be something like Alzheimer's. I mean, we need researchers looking at it from all different angles uh, to be able to to get the next treatment or get the next cure or get the 
next sort of way to diagnose it faster or quicker or, or earlier in life and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's why we need all different types of researchers adding to the overall jigsaw. Uh, uh, hey, look, I, I do have the great dreams of maybe, you know, my, my, you know, my research being able to really push forward th- those efforts. But um, I think uh, a more realistic goal or ambition is to, is to be able to, yeah, add, you know, one, two dozen pieces to, that, to this jigsaw uh, so that overall it becomes a little clearer for myself as a researcher, but also for the wider scientific community. Mm, so good. And then I'm going to read from your biography here because otherwise I'm going to get this wrong. Sure. So from your biography on the Neuro website, Andrew is responsible for organizing and performing brain and spinal cord removal from consented donors at the time of death and carrying out the macroscopic examination and dissection of both fresh and fixed tissue. So that sounds pretty full on to someone not um, part of that world. Can you talk a little bit about dealing so closely with death and even the physical side of death when i first got into this sort of line of work it was um it was it was quite full-on you know it was quite confronting um but yeah a couple of things i see it as a this might sound a bit odd but i see it as a real privilege to work with to do the work that i do um it's not an easy decision for someone or someone's family to decide to donate their loved one's um, uh, brain uh, to to science um, for all different types of reasons. I don't take that lightly, if that makes sense. Yeah. I want to be respectful of that decision and make sure that I do everything that I can to uphold the family and, and the donor's wishes um, mm. I want I want to do a really great job um, so that the tissue that we get is of the the best quality so that researchers who actually use the tissue in their studies on whatever disorder or disease you know whether it be uh, Alzheimer's or, or as a couple of the a couple others that I've mentioned Parkinson's or FTD or the myriad of other sort of dementias, you know, that those researchers are equipped and armed with really useful tissue to be able to ask the questions that they have to ask so that we can, you know, get more of these pieces to the jigsaw so that mm. we can find answers uh, quicker and sooner and, and hopefully, you know, alleviate future pain and suffering. So I see it as a real legacy, what, what, what these donors so and the families so lovingly uh, decide to do yeah and and i don't uh, yeah as i said i don't take that lightly and i i think i see it as a real privilege really uh to be doing the work that i do and but uh, on the same on the same token you know it's it can be incredibly sort of inspiring and 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 uh uplifting in the sense that this next brain could be the brain that is that tipping point where you know mm. we do find some kind of amazing breakthrough it's a collective effort obviously uh, so there's that there's that hope there's that amazing inspiring kind of oh maybe this is it or you know kind of thing yeah but on the same token there's 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 immense sadness there as well you know because we get bits bits of details about how uh, the case and and um and it can be just so so sobering to hear some of the stories that come through and uh, that, in a weird way, uh, also acts as a bit of a motivator, you know, that we want to be doing the, the best work that we can so that uh, hopefully one day we can be out of a job, you know. I mean, that would be yeah. great. <laughs> wow. I mean, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it does. So, so yeah, it is it's uh, it is full on. It can be full on. But uh, it's, it's quite, in a weird way, quite rewarding. It's a real privilege and... Uh, even though there is a lot of sadness there, there is great hope as well. So I think I find that quite encouraging. Yeah. And does your faith kind of interact with the work that you do? You uh, learn more every year and I suppose you mature in your, in your faith and you walk and by no means do I get it right or perfect, but I try to emulate and model um, 
what Jesus in 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 a lot of different aspects of my life, and I suppose work being one of them. Um, mm. I probably fail miserably at that, but you know, I try, <laughs> I try, and uh, yeah. And so I suppose they're they're the kind of aspects um, as well, and it's yeah. it is encouraging to see uh, different the, uh, Christians kind of come out of the woodwork at your at your work you know mm. you kind of go, oh, I didn't know you're a Christian so that that's sort of encouraging to be able to see fellow sort of brothers and sisters you know uh in and around where you work and, and encourage each other that way and that kind of thing so there's sort of the the elements of how the faith or how my faith sort of interacts in my workplace you know being mindful that it's uh, I work in in a, in a place in an organization that I suppose does have many different types of beliefs and faiths like a lot of secular kind of workplaces and so just sort of navigating um, that as well and if there was like one kind of key message that you could get out to people about Alzheimer's what would you want to say that's a really good question and I I'd probably say that uh, that Alzheimer's is I get the feeling that there is still quite a bit of stigma around Alzheimer's in out there, and and, and I suppose it kind of does tie into a lot of different anything to do with the mind or the brain. There's there's an incredible amount of stigma about that, whether it be mental health or whether it be depression or whether it be uh, anxiety or or even you know uh, uh, Alzheimer's and, and dementia and, and those types of things. You know, a lot of people don't fully understand what's going on, and so therefore there there is this sort of taboo aspect almost to it and and i would i suppose the message that i would like to get out there and encourage people is that is that alzheimer's is is a disease process you know you have these abnormal proteins that sort of behave badly if i can kind of put it that way and they they kill they kill neurons so it's it's something that is is complex and it's hard and uh, and I would encourage people to, you know, talk about it more um, and to show love and care to each other and, and to those that those loved ones that may be affected in their lives. I, I, I would kind of bet, or, or I'm not a betting kind of person, but I would argue that everyone is probably touched by it in some way. You know, yeah. uh, whether it be quite directly, you know, a mother, a father, or, or a grandma. Um, or if it's a friend, you know, whoever, you know, because it is so, it does touch so many people. I think that we we should re- really be looking out for one another and feel free to to have a space to be able to talk about it and to to show love and care and support. And so that's one sort of message that I like to get out there. And probably the other one is that I myself feel it, and I'm sure a lot of other people feel it. That uh, research, particularly medical research. Uh, it does move very slowly, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but for good reason. Scientists and, and physicians aren't going to just say if they find a potential drug, they're not going to put it out in the market without first doing all the checks and balances that need to happen. And so, look, I the other message I like to get out there is that there are lots of people working really hard <laughs> to find answers to, to these these sorts of problems in, you know, there's lots of problems and lots of diseases and disorders out there and lots of researchers, scientists, clinicians, uh, medical uh, personnel, allied health, um, they're working super hard. And so we need you guys as much as you guys need us to, to be in our corner and to, to support us and, and keep us going and, and bear with us as, as it does take time. But, you know, you just have to look in at, at history to see that when humans, human race has been met by challenges, um, you know, medical challenges, uh, we have overcome them. And, uh, and so, it, but it does take time, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, so good. You're listening to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode number 37 with Andrew Affleck. You can listen to any of the previous 36 episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes like my conversation with retired police rescue officer and detective Gary Raymond. On the 18th of January 1977 was the Granville train disaster. A train left the Blue Mountains, Mount Victoria, came down and when it got to the Granville Bend, jumped off the tracks and derailed. As it was 
screaming along on its side, it wiped out the staunchen supports on the Bold Street Bridge at Granville. Wow. So it came to rest. 30 to 40 seconds later, the bridge broke its back and came down squarely on the train. So I got in and I was crawling through all those, um, through the middle of those who lost their lives, trying to find those who are alive. And there was an ambulance officer just beside me as well, crawling through. And um, we came across a young lady called Debbie Scow. She was 19 and she was trapped there. And uh, so the ambo said, sorry, mate, and thumbs down. In other words, she's passed away. Uh, being a cop, you always double-check things. It's um, your cross-check, in other words. And so I checked and, oh, much to my surprise, she had a pulse, very rapid, feeble pulse, uh, but she'd stopped breathing because of the airway obstruction. You know, people say to you as a police officer or AMBO, nurses or, or fireys, whatever, they say, oh, you must see some terrible things in your job. Well, not all the time. You don't really. It's occasionally you do. But no one ever says to you, oh, you must smell some horrible smells or the sounds or even the silences because as a cop, when you go somewhere where there should be noise and sounds and there isn't, so the silence can be deafening. But anyway, one of the most beautiful sounds that I've ever heard in my entire police life was as I opened Debbie's airway, she suddenly started to breathe again on her own. That was an excerpt from my interview with Gary Raymond from episode two. You can catch up with that episode and others on SoundCloud or iTunes. And now back to this discussion with Andrew Affleck. And then in another area of your world, you've co-founded a not-for-profit called Street Growth. Yeah. Can you tell us the story of Street Growth? Uh, I was approached by a friend of mine at during my undergrad at uni and he he volunteered at or still does volunteer at a um a sort of a, a homeless cafe homeless shelter mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know what the right terminology is but it's called uh, rough edges and that is um a ministry of st john's uh, anglican church in darlinghurst and he kind of came to me and he said look there's this um potential to uh, to start a community garden um, that really does serve that, that part of the of the city or that community, wow. the, the homeless, the marginalised. Um, I mean, you know, it will be open, of course, to <laughs> anyone that wants to come along, but mm-hmm. we have a particular focus on that and and also sort of uh, drawing on elements of, of mental health issues and, and and having a space or having a garden that that might be sort of uh, uh, helpful in, mm. in, in that type of... Uh, um, struggle or hardship yeah. that people may be going through because there's obviously um, gardening is such a, a beautiful kind of experience there is so many kind of great themes and motifs around gardening you know and nurturing sort of uh, uh, aspects to it as well you know um, yeah. having a seed allow- allowing it to grow and, and, and nourishing it uh, so that it turns into a seedling which then turns into a well, something that you can eat and so there's a lot of great sort of uh, analogies there, I suppose, for for even our own lives, you know, uh, in terms of nourishing ourselves and you know, uh, watching ourselves grow in, yeah. and uh, and and into to see good fruit come of of, of that. So there's that kind of aspect, but there's also just um, being in community um, as well, um, having a space where people can come and and relate to one another and 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 use gardening as that vehicle uh, to be able to, I suppose, break down walls and barriers, have that kind of common goal, that com- that common activity of gardening. And so, yeah, I mean, I could sort of ramble on for, for probably way too long <laughs> that we have here, but we did really want to start this garden as a, as a means of serving the homeless, marginalised sort of community of, of King's Cross and Darlinghurst. So, yeah, about five six years ago we opened the garden opened in october 2011 i think so we uh yeah we've been going for some time and uh wow. and have seen seen just tremendous pardon the pun growth you know through that time <laughs> yeah, so. 
And if people want to get involved or support what you do at Street Growth and even, like you are mentioning earlier, supporting Alzheimer's research, how can they do both those things? Yeah, look, I think that, uh, so for the garden, if anyone wants to just come along and garden, you know, please feel free. I mean, the space is always there. So if you're walking past the, uh, it's located on the St. John's Anglican Church grounds. If you're walking past, feel free to look over the fence or even come into the church grounds and and check it out. Um, We run a weekly gardening session on Sundays at 3 p.m. If people are interested, um, you know, drop by. (laughs) Uh, Either that or we do have a website, streetgrowth.com.au. You can find out a bit more information there with our contact details. Um, You know, drop us a line. If it's something that you you know if you want to support us financially you, there's details there to do that uh, we're not for profit uh you know we have um, the dgr status so <laughs> no it's nearly tax time so you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I i joke we love any kind of support um even if there are people out there that want to get involved in charitable service but maybe don't really want to do the frontline sort of stuff if there are people who are keen to do you know, if they've got some, some kind of skill that they would love to be able to serve in that way um, by using that skill, then, yeah, drop us a line. We, we'd love to hear from you. So there's lots of different ways that people can get involved, whether it be actually coming and gardening and getting involved in the in the weekly gardening session, whether it be financially supporting us or whether it just be, you know, hey, look, I've got X, Y, Z skill and I'd love to serve and help and uh, is, there, is there room or scope for me to do that? Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. In terms of Alzheimer's disease, I mean, I can kind of just say, you know, ditto, uh, you know, in terms of there are many different sort of research programs that are happening that people can get involved in. Uh, in terms of brain donation, there are lots of different brain donor programs that people can can look into, uh, either sign up themselves or have discussions about maybe there's someone in their life that a grandparent or something like that, that they, you know, might think that or, you know, in discussions with that person that they might think that might be uh, beneficial or something that they would like to do. Again, financially, I mean, anywhere that does medical research is always always keen to be supported financially. Um, um, but I think the greatest uh, support or involvement that we can get is kind of what I was sort of getting at before, and that's just allowing people the freedom to, to really feel free to talk about it more and more uh, so that it is becoming or it will be become less of a less of a burden to others and, and that there will be more lines of communication to participate in research or to find out more about the disease or to seek help where it's needed either through clinicians or through people that uh, I mean you know there's the, the dementia help helpline that that a lot of people don't know about you know so that they can call and go hey, I, I, I've got these questions, can you help me? You know, I think that there's all these sort of things out there that, um, that people may not know about. And so mm. um, it's, really, it's really helpful that people continue to use those sort of things to get rid of the, the stigma that may be out there. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. So good. Okay, so like you're also an active member of your church, which is an Anglican church. And I think for some people that might be like an odd concept that, someone like yourself who's a young man and an academic and very busy would be like involved in their local church as well can you talk about why that's important to you so personally i uh, you know i'm involved in the church because as i was kind of talking about before i really do see the power and the the goodness of christian community it's a phenomenally amazing and profound thing that um that really does don't get me wrong there are it's complicated anything to do with humans is complicated but (laughs) i would say on a whole it's good for like for individuals and and also good for the collective you know for the community so yeah so i'm involved because i uh, and I'm, i'm sort of more drawing back to you know when i went overseas and i fell away from my faith and i think that it's just such so powerful to be part of a group of people who imperfectly try to, <laughs> you know, live a way that is modelled on Jesus. So that there's that kind of aspect. But then the other aspect is really the calling that the tremendous gift I think that has been offered to me and to um, a lot of well anybody I, I would imagine that would call themselves a Christian. That is the gift of 
of new life through Jesus. Um, it is just so amazing to think that 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 has been so freely given. And so um, it's something that I would love others to also feel uh, and be able to see and to be able to receive. And so I'm involved because I, uh, I know that there are lots of people out there that don't know Jesus and they don't know God. Again, if I can do my little bit uh, to, to help that, then, then that's great. And that's why I'm, in, uh, I'm involved in uh, church life and, and in hopefully uh, just in my everyday life, you know, um, yeah. uh, someone that has found something so incredibly valuable and the source of such joy. Um, you know, doesn't want to just keep it to themselves, but wants yeah. to share that with as many and as people as they can. So, totally. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, yeah, that's why I am involved in that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then just looking at your journey overall, is there like a moment or a season that you would say has been your most difficult? The time where I, I fell away was, was quite, well, I think more so coming back to Australia from my time overseas and that was, I was, I was quite, I suppose, lost and quite despondent. You know, I thought that I was in control. I was doing it, everything my own way, but it was, in the end, it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. <laughs> and, would you uh, have said that at the time or is that in hindsight? Probably in hindsight. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if I was honest to myself, I'd probably say it at the time. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, I would be chasing other things to to ignore you know what was really going on i suppose underneath at the time anyway mm. so in terms of my spiritual faith and my spiritual walk that was probably a time of great hardship but in hindsight a time of a time of great um joy in a way in the sense that i can see now how significant that was in terms of where I am now to where I was and don't get me wrong I've still got a long way to go <laughs> I think we all do but yeah so that that's that's spiritually that's one one of the times I think life is is a roller coaster ride I mean everyone has their own story and their own journey and there are seasons where it's just super hard um, my I unexpectedly lost my mum last last February you know wow. um, so I mean that that was incredibly hard yeah um it wasn't expected yeah as i said so that was that was a difficult time as i say they're all different types of times and some are happy and some are great and then others are just sort of hard and difficult but uh but that's um that's the that's the roller coaster that that Mm. we are on you know totally does anything stand out for you as like a happiest or proudest time so in terms of my my spiritual faith my walk i suppose the there was a great sense of just happiness after I I did you know after my long board game risk and talking through and accepting Jesus into my life the next morning I woke up and that was kind of a very I don't know I wouldn't say I felt different particularly but there was a there was a realness to that and that was pretty that was pretty special that was pretty I suppose pretty incredible Um, maybe not sort of happy per se but it was mm. quite real and quite you know amazing in some ways uh, getting married was a pretty happy day yeah um finding out that i'm going to be a dad that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing and, mm. and pretty happy it's all it's all relative as well right if you think about it you know what's happiness or for, for someone is you know like it's all degrees of relativity i suppose yeah i mean i in 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 a weird way i kind of i wake up and and the fact that i i have got you know air going in and out of my lungs is i I find that pretty incredible and you know so you know it's it's uh there are so many so many things i could rattle off even even just the smallest things are and you can find a lot of joy and happiness in that as well absolutely that's so cool and then is there like a key scripture or a Bible passage or even if you like a Bible figure that's been particularly significant in your journey? Well, I suppose a passage that maybe over the last five or so years that has been quite prominent in 
or in the forefront of my mind has been uh, Colossians 3.23, which is whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. Uh, that's not to take away the human masters that I have because I, I love them I you know, and I respect them and I think they're yeah. amazing people. I seek to work hard for those people, but it's an amazing reminder for me that in whatever I do, um, I'm called to work at it with my whole heart and work at it as if I'm working for God and not for them, even though I, even though I am working for them, I suppose. Yeah. Sense. So that, that has really helped me to gain a lot of perspective in, in what I do. And even, even things like, you know, doing chores around the house, you know what I mean? You know, mm. I'm, I'm doing it because... I'm working at it with my whole heart because God's my boss, you know, sort of thing. Wow. So, and I love Him, and and I seek, and and I, I fail again miserably at times, but I seek to work at whatever I do, you know, with with my whole heart. So that that's been a significant kind of passage for me. Mm. Um, and I suppose you know why do I do it? Well, you know, I mean, a key figure obviously is Jesus. Um, and, yeah. And I do it because he lived a life that I should have lived and he died the death I should have died. And so wow. um, I do it because I've been, as I alluded to, been given this cr- tremendous free gift. And so like the only response I have is to live my life so that I work at it with my whole heart and I work at it with God as my boss. You know? mm, but, I like that. Sorry, not, not like... <laughs> I think boss is the wrong word because it's sort of like it's like this sort of bad connotation. But yeah, as God, as my, I suppose yeah, my father, like you know, it's the one that I look up to and want to you know try to yeah work for. So good. And are you able to sum up for us? I guess maybe you just did kind of what's at the core of what you believe. I mean, the core of what I believe is really uh, very. I hope it's very gospel-centered for those that may be listening that don't really know what that means is that I believe that there was a man called Jesus he is God he came to earth uh, in flesh and he lived among us he did amazing things uh, that have been documented not only just in the Bible but in many different uh, sources and so I believe that that he came with a rescue plan to help not only God's chosen people, who is traditionally Israel, but to have a rescue plan for even people not a part of that, including you and me. And that rescue plan was that there is this broken world that we we unfortunately did it to ourselves. And to make things right, to make it just, he didn't just sweep all the badness that has happened. He dealt with it. He, he sent his son to die for all the badness that has happened in the world and and so there's there's great justice there on God's part, but there's great mercy as well in the sense that He sent His Son to die for us, and uh, and therefore my message is that that is great news, and we should, and I hope hope that you know we can, or have the opportunity to share it with as mu- as much and as many people as I can. But that's that's the core of the gospel message: is that it is gospel meaning good it's it's good news and so that's kind of the the core of what i believe uh, how that pans out in my life i'm still trying to work out and i'm sure a lot of people are as well but i think that yeah. that's okay and that's the core is the gospel you know great and then just to finish on what are your hopes and dreams what are you hoping that the future looks like uh, i suppose it depends on what kind of sphere you're talking about in terms of my Christian faith and walk. I mean, I hope that that Sydney, like I, I, I'm really excited by potentially if God is is gracious enough to allow it to will it to happen that that there would be a, a you know a revival of the Christian message, the the gospel hope um, in Sydney. I think that would be amazing. You know, um, uh, that to see uh, families, businesses, um, friends, families, government sort of touched by the the goodness that that comes through uh, the gospel message you know mm. of, of of peace of justice of mercy yeah all of these elements that are so uh, from god you know yeah i really i really hope that for i suppose not only sydney but you know the world but i mean i, I live in this sort of this area so in terms of my christian faith and walk that's probably one thing that i do hope and, and pray uh, for that many many people would would come to know and believe in that that hope 
in terms of um, hopes and dreams for the future, I mean, um, I'm about to be a dad, so you know, I'd love to. You know, I'm, I'm sort of I'm excited by that and petrified at the same time, you know. <laughs> but uh, I hope that you know I would be a like a parent that is a good one, I suppose. Mm. You know. Um, uh, and then in my work life, yeah, I I suppose uh, I hope and pray that I'd continue to, and I think this ties into what my sort of my my little Bible passage is, but that I would I would just work at it and with all my heart and just continue to be unafraid to be, you know, uh, working at everything that I do because uh, God is my loving father and I seek to, to work and to please him, you know, (laughs) not to say that I need to work for uh, for anything uh, jesus has has you know completely uh, dealt with with it all on the cross so mm. i work at it because it's the amazing response uh, to to what has been done sparrows and wildflowers is brought to you by victory one media and hosted by rachel simpson with artwork by nicola gibb